Welcome to the 5G Decretory Podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. It's a roundtable session. Uh, we're going to have um, to hear the latest insights from experts deeply involved, in particular in those 5G testbeds and trials projects in the UK. And we're going to reflect on the learnings of the trials, difficulties encountered, and of course, most importantly, the real benefits of what 5G could bring to the economy and society. Um, now, without further ado, let me introduce our four distinguished panellists. Uh, we have Catherine Gow, Head of UK Private Networks at Cellnex. Um, of course, we heard from Chris Wilford, Director, Director of International Spectrum Policy from Ofcom. And we also have Drutan uh, Galaski, uh, Director of 5G Technology at Digital Catapult. And last but not least, Robert Franks, Managing Director of WN5G. Uh, now, Robert, could we start with you? So, as you mentioned, WN5G has been um, indeed a pioneer in trialing 5G technologies on a larger scale and it covered various sectors, as you mentioned. Um, so we've got transport, manufacturing, health sectors, just to name a few. What are the sectors and use cases in which 5G can generate the greatest benefits based on your experience in the Western Midlands? Thanks, Sylvia. So I think we have seen the most interest and early demand uh, for 5G benefits from um, uh, industrial sectors, first of all. So sectors like manufacturing and transport where you know the capability of 5G in terms of things like low latency, for example, in a manufacturing environment to do real-time monitoring of machines or the ability to do remote maintenance and servicing has been really powerful. Um, or alternatively, in the transport sector, we've got things like uh, LiDAR scanners, for example, on trams, which are enabling uh, the environment to be scanned in terms of maintenance and IT. So a lot of focus on industrial sectors, I'd say, firstly. And then secondly, health and social care has been uh, been huge. So when we when we started the work on West Midlands 5G, um, I think there was some understandable reticence from from parts of the uh, health and social care system around certain digital technologies and how they would uh, how they would work. I, I've seen the pandemic radically accelerate and change all sorts of people's opinion in and outside of the sector on that. Um, and, and I think there's a mixture of things going on. I think there's some things where you've got very high TRL readiness. So things like, for example, remote patient care, where, yes, you can use 4G and Wi-Fi in some circumstances, but for some, some of the more advanced applications, 5G makes sense. And then I think you've got a, a number of kind of emerging applications around health and social care, like our early stage bowel cancer trial that are being tested. I do finally see lots of opportunity emerging, though, also around business to consumer applications. And I'm really excited uh, about some of the innovation that we're seeing around events and experiences, particularly when, you know, you talk about things like, uh, you know, the virtual worlds that Facebook and others are investing in. And hopefully some of the experiences that we'll see virtually around major events such as the Commonwealth Games, which is coming to Birmingham next summer. That's fantastic. Um, so, um, Robert, you mentioned manufacturing and uh, Catherine, if I can come to you. So you are heavily involved in the DCMS funded 5G projects, in particular, launching the private network in the manufacturing and logistics sectors. 
So based on your experience, what is a value YG can bring to the manufacturing and logistics sector? So Catherine, I think you're muted. There we go, sorry. The number one thing that um, Private 5G can bring to the manufacturing and logistics um, sectors is addressing um, issues that they have today. Some of the issues that they have today are with safety and security, uh, productivity, and, and actually just the reliability of their existing connectivity. Areas that they are addressing, in my experience, in manufacturing and logistics are things like autonomous vehicles. So in the case of manufacturers, often manufacturers are located in a, um, in a kind of a campus location where in one building something happens and in another building another thing happens. And regularly items have to go back and forth from one building to another. Today, what is happening is, is someone is moving things from one place to another. With private 5G, there's an opportunity to actually have an autonomous vehicle do that work back and forth, back and forth. Very repetitive, very boring. And frankly, um, the UK is having a tough time getting staff to do those sorts of things. Um, other areas that it can impact is remote control. So as an example, being able to run a crane or actually a vehicle via remote control. It's safer, um, it's, it's more reliable, and you actually take humans out of those risky areas where there are huge vehicles, um, containers running around, et cetera. The core value of a private 5G network actually is sort of the reliability and connectivity that it can provide so that everyone on the site can have access to the information that they need when they need it. Yeah, that's a fantastic uh, summary um, indeed. Productivity, reliability, and uh, efficiency here. Um, now, if I can move to you, Jutun, um, Digital Catapult is playing a key role in several 5G testbed and trials projects in the UK, and yourself are heading 5G technology and coordinating national 5G activities. Do you agree with Robert and Catherine? What is the biggest economic value 5G could bring? And um, uh, an add-on question, would uh, you give some examples of how Digital Catapult is uh, supporting, especially the SMEs, in unlocking those value? Um, yes, thank you very much, uh, Sylvia. And, and yes, I do agree with uh, largely with what uh, uh, Robert and, and, and Catherine said. Some nuances which I believe are important. At, at this moment in time, we are all very, very much aware in this conference, which is a reasonably new conference, that 5G has gone through a hype stage. Whilst it is now a deployed technology for consumer mobile broadband, its adoption in vertical industries, which is the primary focus for us in terms of economic growth, that part is still in an exploratory stage. And if uh, if we look back at the UK government 5G strategy in early 2017, in the document there was a specific sentence with, which highlighted the focus on the economic growth interest on the 5G uh, innovation unlocking um, digital transformation. That 5G success uh, will be measured also by its uptake from vertical industries. And whilst back in 2017, very few people in vertical industries did know what 5G was, 
uh, in the past five years with the 5G testbeds and trials program, 200 million pounds funded by the UK government's Department for Culture, Media and Sport, we, we seem to have gone through a journey of exploring the adoption on, on a journey that we at Digital Catapult clarify that it has four stages. The, the, the first stage is when people are curious on, on the new technology, then they engage to learn a bit more about it, then they start exploring it through pilots and trials, and then uh, move on to exploitation, which is where the um, economic growth is unlocked. I believe that we are hovering around the exploration space uh, and looking forward to the exploitation, which is, as I said, where the economic uh, benefits will be, will be unlocked. And these economic benefits are outlined very significantly as very significant opportunity through various reports. However, the business case analysis on individual cases is not yet clear enough to, to drive a mass adoption and firm investment immediately on the vertical industries. Um, these kind of uh, clarifications have happened already. So Worcestershire 5G already uh, trialed, tested and demonstrated a 1.5 productivity improvement in a, in a, in a large factory, uh, as well as looking at the existing projects that we have on, on 5G factory of the future with BAE Systems, IBM and other partners. And the economic value primarily maps primarily in simplifying operations, lowering the cost of operations, and in particular the factory IT operations, and increasing the flexibility in configuration. What can be done in manufacturing and industrial cases at different times? Increasing the agility of the um, production or operational space, be that in ports, be that in warehouse or in manufacturing. While this is clear, it, it, it's, it, what has also become very clear is that it requires multiple use cases overlaying on top of one another. And at this moment, it feels that whilst we are exploring the individual use case trialing, the exploration of individual use cases at this moment could be um, detrimental to a point because the return on investment analysis looking at just, for example, predictive maintenance separately from workforce coordination, better workforce coordination through um, cellular technologies and looking at that separately from the cost of sensor integration across um, um, multiple IoT scenarios this ROE, this return on investment analysis, stretched, it looks stretched and forced without an, analyzing this as, as, a, as a technology that will go directly into, into this particular space. And this is the space that we, Digital Catapult, are coming in. We are looking at 5G as an enabling digital innovation platform and intervening in that space. Innovation has been mentioned continuously today, not just on the speakers on the UK panel, but elsewhere. But innovation in and of itself is, is unpredictable in some cases. You, you are entering into an R&D space where you want to try out things and you need to accept that in certain cases things might not work. As the leading advanced digital technology center in the UK for us, uh, we, have done, we have had a very significant investment in people and the technology and the intervention space has been primarily on the adoption of the 5G. And we do that by doing both providing maintained geographically distributed advanced 5G testbeds and exposing those testbeds, as Robert mentioned that we are doing in West Midland 5G, uh, to uh, startups and scale-ups and, and, and companies operating and providing digital services and products so that with technical support, they can explore where, how, and if, even if 5G provides them 
with some kind of a, 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 an advantage. We operate testbeds across the, 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 the UK, from London to Brighton to Nottingham to Londonderry in, in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, and we have engaged with hundreds of small businesses across the UK to effectively explore this, as well as very, very big names like Seagate, Ericsson, Siemens and others, in order to effectively see how to translate this possible opportunity into the real world solution. Um, and all of this is, is in a joint, and as, as Robert said before, um, it's, it's, it, the, the, the key thing in this is collaboration. The hype will effectively go away, but the earlier we disperse it, by enabling people to understand and focus to where the adoption of 5G is, is effectively meaningful and where it is not better, the, the, the clearer and the earlier the uh, unlocking of the econo economic impact will be. And at this moment, in the UK, I believe we are at the right stage of uh, kind of in a, like a morning fog for the 5G hype starting to disperse, as both Catherine and, and Robert uh, effectively said. Yeah, that's a very comprehensive and impressive uh, uh, platform that uh, enabling that uh, DigiCap was enabling the innovation. Uh, also, echo Robert, um, Digital Capital has been a brilliant partner for 5G testbeds uh, in the West Union. Um, so thank you very much for all your efforts uh, enabling that. Um, now, Chris, if I can move to you. Uh, so Ofcom has been instrumental in creating regulatory conditions to enable innovation, as you um, mentioned in your presentation. Do you think 5G spectrum provides more economic value per megahertz than previous generations? And could you give us some examples of how and what Ofcom is doing to deliver the best value from the spectrum to the private and the public sectors? Interesting question, thank you. Um, I mean, I think 5G, as we've been hearing through this session and through other sessions, I mean, has incredible potential. I mean, whether or not it has more economic value than previous generations of mobile is probably not for me, me to answer. I mean, I think, what I would say, though, is that, I mean, sessions like this, I think it's really refreshing that we're having this sort of discussion today. Um, and I mean, I've been involved in regulation for 20 years now or so, and, and, and a lot of the time on, on spectrum. Um, and I think traditionally things like connectivity and spectrum were something that was just sort of taken for granted. It wasn't really thought about as, you know, something that a business needs to consider. Um, and if anything, sort of spectrum management was seen as the sort of preserve of the technical experts who sort of made, who made it work at a technical level. And it wasn't really a policy almost consideration. We've now seen sort of spectrum because of the wireless revolution, everything going wireless. We've seen spectrum management come to the fore and actually be at the heart of sort of policy making. And we're seeing that businesses and enterprises are really beginning to have to think about how um, connectivity solutions can really help them to achieve um, their objectives, whatever it is they do, and to do so in a much more efficient way. And I think that's a journey that we're only really just starting. I mean, I think there is still a gap between, say, myself on the regulatory side and what what us what, what us regulators do, and 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 you know we're very good at dealing with the mobile operators who've all got their regulatory affairs teams and what have you. I think you know what we're trying to do through events such as this and, and with the digital catapult and with developments in the West Midlands and what have you, is actually really try and bridge that communications gap and think about how we as regulators can actually meet the, the connectivity needs and, and, and get 
spectrum out there or whatever out there in a way that is actually going to enable those businesses and enterprises um, to deliver uh, whatever solutions they they are going to do for, for consumers. And I think that's when we will really start to see productivity increase and, and potentially you know, greater efficiency per megahertz. Um, but I do think that's a debate that, you know, I think we've made huge progress, but I think we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, that's a very good answer. Um, and uh, that uh, also uh, helps us to move to the next uh, you know, topic. Um, obviously, we are now at the third year of 5G deployments. Um, and the UK in particular has gained a vast amount of experience in developing and uh, trialing 5G. Uh, we got lots of lessons learned from the 5G tries and real deployments. Uh, really, next session, I'd like to understand from the panellists, First of all, Robert, if I can come to you, what are the biggest barriers to public 5G network deployments and how have you overcome these in the West Midlands? Thanks, Sylvia. So, so what we found over the last um, uh, couple of years is uh, that the, the, the planning regime and indeed the business model around deploying 5G, upgrading 4G sites has really changed radically uh, in the UK and I believe many other countries in Europe over the last decade. We've kind of moved from a business model where property owners used to try and auction their rooftops, sometimes on an exclusive basis to the highest bidder, to a model where, where there's completely different compensation payments based on opportunity costs, much more rights for open access, uh, lack of exclusivity, all of these things are absolutely the right things to drive the market forward. However, the lack of practical clarity around how these new laws, uh, through things like the Electronic Communication Code, changes to town and country planning, how they translate into commercial practice, has actually in some instances sadly stalled the market. It's created a situation where uh, the, the, the property owners are unclear on what they need to do. The mobile operators are frustrated because they can't get access to buildings and way leaves and all these other types of things. So, so, so there are problems throughout that value chain. And what, what we've tried to do is to act as an independent, trusted broker in between the mobile operators and the, uh, the local uh, public asset owners and, and, and really do a number of things to, tr to try and remove that friction and make it all work for everyone involved. So the first is we've done a lot of training on exactly what has changed in the legislation and how it should be interpreted. Secondly, we've sought to put in place um, best practice legal agreements developed over the last few years in the West Midlands and other areas. So, so there's the right framework for parties to engage. Thirdly, we've appointed um, leads from, from each of the local authority um, areas who've got particular expertise and authority because often planning decisions cut across lots of different departments. Um, and we've also uh, worked directly with the, uh, with the mobile operators and the uh, tower co's and the joint ventures that sit behind them. Uh, we've also put in place new compensation models that reflect the latest legislation, are super simple and easy for organisations to adopt. I mean, often, although, you know, rolling out uh, 5G networks is obviously the core business of mobile operators, it isn't the core business of many landlords and they struggle to put resource on it or have expertise on it. So, so we've also uh, sought to make that simple. As I mentioned, fifthly, we've put all of the asset information into uh, into a map that can be also be used to identify problems 
and opportunities. And, and as I say, what we've started to find is that the sum of all of those uh, activities and acting as an independent party in the middle has started to achieve some really great results. But of course, that challenge goes on because th that's been applied to the city centre rollout where, where the focus has been so far. And now as we move out into suburban and also rural contexts, further market interventions and further further work is required. But we're working with uh, working with government, working with DCMS to roll out th this kind of best practice approach to, to all of the other regions in the UK and, and, and hopefully share with colleagues across Europe. Indeed, that, that best practice is really helpful for the newcomers adopting 5G. Um, now, um, so Robert covered the public network. Catherine, if I can come to you, uh, what are the biggest barriers to private 5G network deployments? Is there any best, uh, any best practice um, so far to share from your experience in deploying private networks? So unlike um, public networks and what Robert was explaining, in a private network, you don't have the concern of actually finding a place to put it. Most private networks are deployed on the campus, inside the manufacturing plant, on the port. And that entity generally has control over what goes there or actually has quite a bit of influence to put whatever they want in, in the porch or the, the manufacturing plant. I think one of the barriers to 5G networks actually is in a way, spectrum. And I'm gonna address, I'm gonna say, first of all, Chris, what we have in the UK is phenomenal. And it's not perfect. And of course it wouldn't be. Um, in the UK, we designate the shared access spectrum and the amount of power we can get from our shared access spectrum by whether something is urban or rural. Now, that makes total sense on the high level, but on a very low level, it doesn't always make sense. For example, you may have a port that is very much located in the, in the middle of a town, but most of its actions face the, face the, the um, water. To deploy a network there using only low power is hugely costly, and it is a barrier to deployment. I believe in talking with Ofcom, when we've brought this up with my um, colleagues at Ofcom, including Chris, that that's something that it will be worked on on a case-by-case -case basis. As Chris said earlier, you know, this is early days. And what they've done is innovative and phenomenal. But that is that's one area that is could be an issue. Um, the second area that is a big issue is hardware and whether it's RAN fit for purpose in the spectrum that it's required or CPE that could connect to that hardware. So my recommendation to um, people who want to start um, put a 5G network in is talk to your system integrator or your service provider immediately about what you want to do. So a search can be put out and they can acquire that particular hardware that you need in that spectrum. I know working with um, the various um, brand providers, everybody is very keen to make this all work. The other recommendation, and it's not so much of a barrier, but the other recommendation that I have in, in creating a private 5G network is be realistic and also fix the easiest problem. Fix the lowest, fix the problem that's going to make the biggest impact for you. And then as I think Chris said in his talk earlier on is that we don't even know what 5G can do and can bring. And, and we are just at the forefront of building what we can build 
um, for private 5G and bringing on the digital revolution. And that's really what this is. It is changing how we work. Sylvia? That's fantastic, Catherine. Uh, lots of experience. Um, and I hope uh, the audience uh, hearing this session uh, will be able to talk to you later um, to explore more um, regarding the best practice. Uh, so, Jutan, if I can move to you next. Um, uh, you are heavily involved in 5G technology and interoperability research. Um, and we know 5G in particular in this area, interoperability is, is such a key element. Can you give us some key, first of all, 5G capabilities specifically designed to address the key pain points of the vertical sectors? So uh, we talked about manufacturing. Well, how about the other sectors as well? Um, and are these capabilities all available yet in the market and why? So Catherine mentioned availability of devices. I think that's also somehow related question. Uh, thank you. It's it's a very very good question, uh, Sylvia. So in a, in a broad sense and, and in slightly less technical term, or as much as I can make it, um, I would agree with uh, the, the, what Chris mentioned right at the end of the him answering the question that the the demand for connectivity seemed to always converge down to a capacity, speed, and delay or latency parameterization. Um, however, this is kind of changing and changing fast, in particular in terms of the offer and supply, the primary characteristic of the 5G, the, the what 5G, in my opinion, will be remembered as, as a generational um, 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 a contribution to the cellular communication space, will be primarily that it makes for the first time possible from a technology perspective that networks, the cellular networks could be genuinely flexible. They could meet a, a, a different set of demands in different kind of scenarios that took us away from a single deployment model, which is where the mobile network operators have been today. So on one side, it is absolutely clear that 5G improves on speed, latency and capacity over the previous technology generations. But I want also to, to, to mention as part of that flexibility and agility, several other characteristics which effectively are the main reason why uh, 5G and its generational and evolution is a very, very important candidate to be considered for, for the infrastructure that enables digital transformation. So one of the biggest elements is the managed structure of the cellular networks, which is particularly important for wireless industrial operational environments, because that is the only way we know today to increase the determinism of the performance of the underlying network infrastructure in varying conditions. Um, the other biggest aspect, which is not a classical, classical 5G, but it is a very, very mature solution and the only mature solution that is deployed worldwide, it is the implicit support in cellular communications for mobility. So in all of the use cases where you need to support a mobile workforce, even in a smaller geography, not, not, not necessarily nationally, then you need to consider some sort of a cellular solution. Uh, the ability also to have a better integration with the edge compute resources, as well as the upcoming ability to create network slices, release um, release 17 and onward, um, in ways that it can meet less, more or less stringent requirements. You can separate the population of the devices and people that are using your resources in the factory, allowing you a very, very fine-grained ability to effectively control not just the resources you allocate, but more importantly, 
providing a higher determinism, not an absolute one, but a higher determinism of the performance of the network, which is extremely important in industrial context, be that in a port, be that in a warehouse, or be that in a, in a, in a factory. In terms of new features, Release 16 ensured that we, we have a 5G SA with low latency capabilities in 5G networks, and Release 17 will improve on primarily on enhanced mobile broadbands, um, what we see on mo our mobile phones, network management features. It will improve positioning accuracy, and also it will introduce um, um, stronger uh, ultra-reliable and low communication features. It also released 17, coming in the middle of next year, will introduce network slicing and also looking to scoping, uh, doing some scoping work and support for new features like any reality. So moving into this digital twinning metaverse world, uh, how does uh, 5G support this? Um, while these are kind of plans to be developed and functionally de de added to existing deployed networks through upgrades, um, we, we need to be clear on the timing there and relate it also to the answer that uh, Catherine gave to private networks deployment in all sorts of um, 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 uh, industrial, logistics, manufacturing and others. Um, we are expecting um, release 17 to come um, to, to be to be approved by by mid 2022, which typically means that industry will have solutions in that space, in particular in core networks, uh, no earlier than the first half of 2023. And this ties in very very well with the window of opportunity around exploring 5G adoption in uh, industrial context or what we call industrial 5G. Um, right at the time before mobile industry itself starts shifting its focus towards R&D in uh, 5G, beyond 5G, 6G, etc. And that is what we are looking to, to maintain the momentum and to look at uh, this space on how vertical industry innovation timelines and also the roadmaps of the 5G are aligned with the technology. Some of the other aspects that are challenging, but Catherine mentioned them, is spectrum. In particular, one of the unlocking um, aspects has been the provision of 3.8 to 4.2 gigahertz spectrum in the UK for as a shared spectrum. Um, educating people on how to take advantage of it is, is also quite important. Availability of devices, both network devices, but also end-user devices and industrial devices is 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 um, is still um, um, an ongoing kind of issue. And the last one is also, if 5G is to be um, um, adopted, it needs to be adopted not as a telecom solution, but as part of an IT in, uh, operational solution. And that requires an expansion on the skills for IT in that space, which is direct, directly related to the kind of R&D and innovation space that we operate in. Yeah, that's very comprehensive, Triton, as usual. Um, um, I, I'm going to come to Chris, uh, but if I can um, follow on with what Triton mentioned, and if I can ask you, so now we are at release 17, and the device on the market are based on release 15, 15 essentially, right, features. Um, what are the um, 5G capabilities to be expected in the next two to five years for the vertical sectors. And then I'll come back to Chris, because then you mentioned Ofcom are um, doing the, you know, scouting and understand the spectrum usage for uh, to keep up with evolving mobile demands and also technology evolution. So perhaps, you know, if I come to um, Driton first, what are, what are you thinking two to five years? What sort of capability will be there? 
Um, it's 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 an extremely interesting question because uh, there are several uh, uh, um, things that that are happening in parallel. On one side, we have a disaggregation of the telecom supply, which will increase, similar to the small cell um, um, uh, movement that we had before, will increase availability of private networks, smaller offerings, and hopefully also um, um, a bit more cost-effective offerings in the smaller space. On the other side, we have a very, very clear um, interest on, on the demand side, as Robert mentioned. So I would anticipate that we will start seeing early adopters in the next two to five, uh, two to four years, I will say, early adopters of 5G technology in very, very specific areas in, 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 uh, in manufacturing and logistics, where it actually makes sense, in particular when they take leverage of the managed nature of the network and the determinism of the performance of the network. Excellent. Thanks for the concise, uh, uh, forward-looking statement, um, Dritten. Now, Chris, if I may, so given what Dritten's uh, mentioned forward-looking um, features uh, on the spectrum front, aspect, what, what do you see are still missing and in which sector? So I think, I mean, from a spectrum perspective, and it's interesting how spectrum sort of come into this um, discussion over the last sort of 15, 20 minutes or so. I mean, and it, it builds on some of the points that Catherine was making earlier. I mean, I think from Ofcom's perspective, we are trying to ensure that spectrum is not the barrier. We want to make sure that spectrum is available when and where people need it. Now, I think our local licenses are a step in the right direction, um, but I'm sure they're not the right answer for everyone. Um, and we, as Ofcom, are trying to do what we can to engage in that sort of dialogue with, with, with industry to ensure that we are making Spectrum in, available in the way um, that meets their needs. Um, and that's that, that's never going to be a sort of a, an, an end point to that. I mean, it's always going to be an ongoing dialogue and an ongoing discussion. I think in terms of the challenges around that, or, or, uh, challenges and opportunities, actually. I mean, I think one of the interesting things uh, about 5G is that we're now, you know, we're using Spectrum. Um, the core band is at three and a half gigahertz that the mobile operators are, are rolling out. We're talking about shared Spectrum in 3.8 to 4.2. I mean, this was a Spectrum band that, even sort of 15 years ago, people would say it would be impossible to use for mobile type technologies. It just wouldn't, it, you know, it wouldn't have been considered. Uh, it's much higher up in the frequency range. But that does actually offer some opportunities because um, it does enable shared use. The propagation characteristics of this spectrum mean that it's actually more suitable for sharing in, in some local areas. Um, it doesn't travel quite as far. And I think that's something that we really need to sort of get on top of um, from the regulatory perspective. Um, and in particular, what we what we need to ensure is that some of the old models, the traditional models of managing spectrum from decades ago, things like, you know, broadcast spectrum, which is very high power, travels all over the place. Yeah, that's been the framework, the international frameworks that have provided the basis for how we manage spectrum. Actually, we're talking about a completely different world at the moment where we're talking about getting spectrum out in much lo more localized areas, as I say, when and where people need it. And I think that's something that you know, we're, we're trying to address, but we're a long way from reaching the solution to that at, at this stage. And I think, you know, within, the, within Ofcom, we're doing what we can, but we also, as just mentioned, need to do that internationally. We need to think about how those allocations of spectrum are actually handled at you know, regional and global level. And also, we need to work with all spectrum users, as I said earlier, to really think about how we can maximize the efficiency of use and how we can really get people to work together and share spectrum 
um, where it's feasible and can be done without causing interference. But that does require people to look at spectrum in a very different way under a very different framework, potentially. Yes, uh, that's a very good uh, answer, as usual, Chris. Um, um, now, if we um, focus on the adoption um, aspect, um, and there's lots of uh, activities also happening in UK5G. Um, the vertical camping is mentioned uh, by Julia lopez MP that uh, UK5G is, is, has been doing this year, certainly bring uh, a great amount of benefits uh, uh, insights to to the vertical sectors. Um, now the question next, if I can uh, put that to all of you, um, what are your advice to the vertical sectors who are considering adopting 5G? Um, from your experience, what are your insights um, to make 5G implementation and integration easier for them? So Catherine, perhaps uh, if I we can start with you. Absolutely. So I would say my number one piece of advice is solve the, the biggest and most onerous problems that can be solved with 5G. So get together with your systems integrator, your advisors, your um, service provider, and, and lay out what the problems are and look at what things can be addressed first to um, you can install 5G network, no problem, but how you make it work for your business, that's the key thing. And I profoundly believe that 5G will work in hospitals, in, in stadiums, in ports, airports, power stations, refineries, the list goes on. And there's so many different benefits for each individual kind of industry. Have a conversation, figure out where it works. That's the starting point that I recommend. Sylvia? Yeah, that, that's a good one. And thank you very much, Catherine. Uh, now, uh, Robert, if, um, what's your top advice to the vertical sectors adopting? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with, with what Catherine said around uh, focusing on the, the, the benefits, first of all. The, the other barriers I see, because obviously some of the organisations adopt looking to adopt 5G, sometimes they're, they're very large, but sometimes they're also medium-sized organisations. So I think that there is a challenge somehow around sometimes around access to technical expertise around 5G so that you know what you're buying. And my advice on that is to um, leverage some of the organizations, uh, certainly in the UK, that have been involved in 5G tests and trials, whether it's, um, you know, on the public sector side or the government side. There's a lot of expertise, a lot of resources, a lot of independent kind of best practice, technical advice that can be leveraged and can help inform uh, conversations with, um, you know, with suppliers and with partners um, and, and, and others. Um, secondly, if I may as well, I think if organizations are kind of at an early stage in their 5G journey, there's loads of brilliant networks and primers. So whether it's uh, working with you, Sylvia, and UK 5G and some of the working groups you've set up, some of the contacts through UK 5G, whether it's coming to some of our accelerator events with uh, Digital Catapult in the West Mid you can come to a day's immersion event to find out what it's all about. And then the final one I'd also add, if I may, is... Um, Sometimes there's a challenge uh, on the demand side with accessing finance. And I think there's a number of solutions that private sector partners provide to enable people to spread the costs if they can't uh, provide upfront capital. And I think there's a number of other options as well that, again, uh, people can get some independent advice on if, if they don't have an existing 
you know, WAN budget or something else that they're using for this purpose. So, um, so those are the ones I'd, I'd, I'd also add on to uh, what Catherine was saying. Yeah, fantastic, Robert. Obviously, of course, uh, Westmeland by G has got massive experience, and certainly that's a network. Um, if people want to learn a bit more, um, please talk to Robert as well. Um, so um, I'll come to you, Jutan, as the last wisdom. But uh, Chris, Chris, what, what's your device? It's an interesting question, actually. I, mean, I was pondering, pondering this. I mean, I think my advice is to try and keep it simple. Um, and I think as well, and not to be put off by uh, some of the terminology, particularly the technical terminology and all the acronyms and, and what have you. And, and actually, I mean, being perhaps just a little bit controversial, because I know that, what panel I'm on here. I mean, one, one point I would make is that this is about connectivity. 5G offers tremendous potential. I mean, there's no doubt about that in, in my mind and, yeah, and, and, and unknown and unlimited potential. But actually, there are there are other solutions out there as well. I mean, Wi-Fi is going to continue to play an important part. There's satellite connectivity for that may be suitable in certain cases. I mean, there's a place for all of these. And it's really about you know, encouraging businesses, um, enterprises and consumers, whoever, to actually think about these issues. And just in the simple terms, think about what sort of connectivity solutions are, are, are going are to help you achieve what your objectives are. And then there's people here, I mean, Digital Capital, Capital doing a great job and will really help you find the solutions that will meet uh, your particular um, business needs. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then that leads to Dritten uh, uh, for the final wisdom. You're muted, Dritten. Dreaded unmute. Um, um, so, so the first first part for me is, is uh, I agree with absolutely understand your challenges and in particular to pick up on exactly what Chris said, understand the challenges and um, understand early uh, what the what is the technology stack options that can deliver them. As 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 Chris said, there is a combination and in particular in telecoms and in communication space, it's always a a choice. It's it's a it's a shopping. You, if you are clear on your requirements. Um, then, then it is it is a bit easier to navigate the space, and there are different solutions that will fit in different environment. And in order to understand that, that leads me to the second very very strong recommendation. At this moment, because five G as a as a telecoms uh, as a networking solution for a private network is the new kid on the block, there is an element of hesitancy and a uh, and and still uh, a lack of understanding about that. So. Um, my second suggestion will be to find the right partner to explore this space for the stage of the innovation you are in and look to expand in particular the expertise of the system integrators with whom the uh, vertical industries usually um, um, go to for, for, for building their solutions, people that they are familiar to work uh, with, including in new technology areas. And what I mean by this is that it requires a different approach, different insights and different skills to apply uh, uh, um, the expertise that different organizations have in exploring new technologies uh, from the approaches and business models and engagement needed for trials of mature technologies. So I'll make the difference between is it an innovation journey or are you doing an assessment to buy? And the, between these two things, you'll find that you'll, you'll need the interface between the offer and the demand on the technology space in 5G, but I will go also in some of the other connectivity uh, solutions, it's still a bit clunky. 
and in that space, um, um, finding the right partners. And, and, and I agree with uh, uh, Robert that there is a lot of offering in the UK. There is a, a, um, a supplier's directory in the UK 5G where you can go and find people in the UK. I'm not diminishing Digital Catapult. We, we are extremely good at what we do, but there are a lot of other people that are equally good and can help you in that particular space. Uh, in my opinion, the role of the system integrators is crucial, and in particular, their appetite to effectively not go with tried and tested and relatively mature uh, technologies, but also to give it uh, to give it a bit of try. But that that would be the kind of the two key points for me: finding the right people at the right stage of the exploration that you are around the technology. It's in my opinion, it's crucial because you'll need to make that interface between the offer and the demand for adoption. Uh, a bit smoother, a bit um, um, uh, more functional. Yeah, that's a perfect wrapping up for this roundtable uh, round discussion indeed, Triton. And I would like to thank everybody on this panel. Um, so we're supposed to have a mic short for the closing remarks. Uh, unfortunately, there's emergency uh, mic sent his apology. Um, so instead, um, um, I'd like to put a final remark, um, concluding remark from the panelists. Um, very briefly, what are the top concluding or takeaway from your side? If I can start with you, Chris. I wasn't expecting to go first. Uh, thank you very much. So, I mean, I, I, I'll come back to my core and heart, which is Spectrum. And I think, you know, and I, I do think that there is the opportunity to really think about how we um, manage Spectrum uh, differently going forward, um, particularly as we move into some of the higher frequency bands. And we shouldn't use the solutions of the past uh, to fix the Spectrum management problems of the future. And we should think innovatively about what the best way of doing that is. Fantastic. Robert? Uh, so my concluding remark is uh, collaboration, if I can summarise it in a word. I think everything I've heard from what I've been trying to say and my fellow panellists is that when we can bring together the demand side of the market, who, for example, as Catherine was saying, have problems to solve in manufacturing with the 5G supply side and other technology companies, we can achieve amazing things, but we have to get both of those sides of the marketplace together in the right environment to co-create those solutions. It's not gonna come about uh, automatically. Catherine? So my advice, uh, my closing words are very similar to Robert's. It's, it is collaboration, but it's talk to people, talk to your service providers, uh, talk to people who have trial things that you want to trial. Uh, talk to people who are in your industry. Talk to people who are in related industries. Um, because we're all trialing this. We're all checking this out. We've we found, I mean, today, just today, we found millions of pounds of savings and um, efficiencies through the use of 5G. So have conversations and then reach out to things like Digital Catapult UK 5G. There's so many resources out there. I guess my closing words would be, the UK has done something phenomenal in their test beds and trials. They have taken um, the idea of 5G and they've said to the industry, where do you think it's going to change? Where do you want it to change how you do business? And they said, go try it. And that is phenomenal. So we've got a lot of information. We've got some successes. We've got some failures. Talk to people. Thanks, Sylvia.
Yeah, that's great. Uh, Dritten, last but not least. I can't change anything from uh, what Catherine said. I will conclude exactly in that way. It was beautiful. That's it. Yeah, fantastic. So um, it, it has been a great pleasure talking to everybody. Um, and this is a session uh, from the United Kingdom in showcase how the UK is accelerating and scaling the real benefit of IG for the economy and society. I hope you enjoyed uh, this session. Uh, obviously, uh, as all the panelists point to, we have great resources available from the UK, UK 5G, Digicouple, WM5G, and so on. So do connect with us, and you can find us on the website, www.uk5g.org. So thank you very much again, and uh, hopefully see you around soon. Thank you, uh, Sylvia, and thank you, all the panelists. And by the way, if you have time, please go to comment session.